Hello. How's it going, guys? How are you doing, Adam? Can you guys hear me all right? Yep. Yes, we can. I had to drive into town. I don't have internet at my place. We had a fire in October. So we've been staying in an RV waiting to get the construction crews going. Okay. Uh, insurance is so freaking slow. And then last night, all the water froze and the propane heater froze. So oh, it was oh. a it was a challenging evening, guys. Not as cold as some of these northern states, but it's cold enough to be cold. Yeah. We're going to go stay at a friend's house. Um, probably, I'm thinking today, tomorrow, Monday. Um, they're saying it's going to be one degree Monday. And the whole reason I'm in fucking Texas is because I moved down here from the north because I got tired of that shit. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, we have like uh, nine to ten inches of snow here, and that's really rare for our area. I mean, it's so rare. We, we, half we don't get that, which that's our one good. What's this? What's this? Uh, okay, sorry about that. I don't normally. The only calls I ever get on a Saturday is those ones trying to sell me uh, extended warranty or some kind of shit on a car that I don't own. You know what I mean? <laughs> on a car that's 10 years old or whatever. I they're they're calling up. me over cars I've never even owned. That's the craziest part. It's like it'd be one thing know. if I actually was driving it, but I'm not even driving it. Is that right? Yeah. Your extended warranty's up for your Subaru Forester. I don't know that. Exactly. <laughs> like, I've never had a Subaru. What are you doing? Yeah, my car's an 07. They call me to try to sell me extended warranty. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Like your, your warranty costs more than my car's worth now. <laughs> I know, right? So, guys, tell me about your show. How long have you guys been doing it now? We've actually just been doing it. We started it during the pandemic. Um, so a little under a year. And we just wanted to help the average person get fit. We thought, you know, gyms are closing down. Things are happening. We needed to, you know, just uplift the community, have a place to work out, do some podcasts, get some knowledge out there so people could work out at home and just keep it going while they're on lockdown pretty much. And then it's developed into what it is now. I like that. Yep, that's uh, for me. An opportunity, man. The whole fitness landscape is going to look different going out of this year. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, even even in the places like where I'm at here in Texas. So, guys, I have not worn a mask on my face except for two times in the last twelve months. Yeah. Once when I went to a fucking dentist appointment, which to me was so stupid because you're yeah. about to be all up in this shit in like thirty. But whatever. <laughs> Where are they going in there? And uh, I went to the Fort Worth gun show last month. And um, and the, the craziest thing to see there was how many people were in that room with money to spend. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. maybe 8,000, 10,000 for the one hour I was there with every person walking out with bags of weapons and ammo. Yeah. Where's the longest um, line in our town? The gun store. Right? Yep. But but here the crazy shit is this. So so in our town, nobody wears a mask. You don't see any of that. And even still, like I'm at my gym in the parking lot. People are not coming up here. You know what I mean? Like, even so, even when all this kind of blows down and whatever the next scandal is or whatever the crazy shit they throw at us, we're gonna see that the like group classes, I don't know anybody that's gonna be able to get group classes going again. The way that they've been done in the past. Martial arts gyms, they're fucking screwed, man. Yep. Um, 
you know, things like Zumba, yoga, Pilates, where you normally could put 30 people in a room and as a business owner, make good money. Yeah. That's all going to go away. So th this kind of thing that you guys are doing, you're going to see that the value of the work you've already done rise over time. As somebody finds one episode that you do that they like, they're going to go back through and watch all the other ones and you'll just keep picking up people. Well, that's what we're hoping, just to build a better uh, community up here in the Northwest for sure. You know, we had a bigger one in the past and it's kind of died off. And now we're just trying to get people excited about, you know, getting fit at home for sure. And that's going to be one of the big options in the future. What do you guys like to do for your training? What's your guys' interest? I mainly focus on martial arts training. He focuses more on strength. Yeah, excellent. Old school strongman stuff. I like it, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Never went, if, when you got that mindset, you're never without a gym. You're like, what are you guys talking about? I've got a rock. I've got a log. Exactly. I've got a hill. I've got my whole workout lined up. We did a video. I was picking up our uh, rocks yesterday in the snow because we have a little rock garden out there. We've got about 15 different natural stones that we have that vary from anywhere from 97 pounds to 322 pounds. So, yep. When we had to put in the temporary pole to have power on the property, because when the fire happened, they had to disconnect prop the entire property's uh, power out. So new pole went in on the far end. And I told him, guys, you've got to run a hot line to my well house or I'm fucked. I, I, don't, I don't care what it costs. Get that done for me. So the guys come out and they're like, yeah, we'll be done in like an hour, dude. We do this all the time. Six hours later, they're still running the backhoe. And it's because my entire ranch sits on a level um, plane of granite that's oh. about that thick. And oh. it's uniformly oh. thick. So... I bet right now I have maybe 50,000 pounds of granite in different piles just on that one side of it. And I've got perfectly shaped Husafels. I've got a rock that's exactly the shape of Africa that weighs about 400 pounds. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I, and, and my plan when I eventually just want them all off, I'm either going to do one of two things. I'm either going to have to get a backhoe and move them all to the front, and I would do a granite wall, which I think would look nice. Mm -hmm. If I can find anything better to do with my time, which I need to do that, I'm just going to tell everybody in the community that if you guys want stones, come see me. Take whatever the hell you want and get it out of here. So many stones, you wouldn't believe it. Might have to run a U-Haul and come down to your property. Yeah. <laughs> Take whatever you want, my man. I have tons, literally tons and tons of granite. That is awesome. So um, for people that don't know who you are, go ahead and tell us about yourself and your grip journey and story. Yes, guys, uh, I am 38 years old. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. When I was 18, I joined the United States Air Force. They sent me down here to Texas. Then they sent me to North Dakota. Um, I went overseas for a couple of years. I was in Korea. I was in uh, Okinawa, Japan two tours in Iraq out of that. And then uh, they sent me back to North Dakota, which was unbelievable that out of anywhere in the world, they had to send me back to that one spot. Um, I got into strength and then I, I got out from there in 2010. Um, we'll come up to that. So I got started um, lifting when I was probably, I'm thinking it was the summer before ninth grade. So what would that have been 13 or 14, somewhere in there? Somewhere in there. Um, 
And I got started at a Gold's Gym that was in Garden City, Michigan. And it was one of those classic bodybuilding gyms. Like you walk in the door and there's 50,000 photos on the wall of the owner posing with every pro wrestler and 80s action. So it was like one of those kind of places. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first couple of years, the only thing I really did was basic meathead style, not knowing what you're doing, but you go in a lift and you're 15. So it all kind of works. Um, Once I got to my first duty station in 2002, uh, I started to get more of an idea of what I wanted to do with my fitness program. Um, so at the time for me, it was centered more around military fitness, uh, keeping a good runtime, being able to move around in all my gear, being able to whatever dumb school they were going to send me to next, be able to pass through that. Um, I got to Okinawa in 2004 and I had a lot of money just to spend because for that time, you know, you're staying in barracks, they pay for everything. Um, I get deployed and I find out about kettlebells and I don't know, I was on somebody's newsletter that they sent me to, but it was, it was right in the beginning of 2000. It was right at the end of 2004. So I had, I had actually ordered up a set of kettlebells from like eight kilo to 56 kilo from Australia, had them sent up to Okinawa, um, I got going there. That's when I started not, not just training myself, but also training other people with it. Uh, as a unit trainer, I already had to take them out for their PT and I had to take them out for their ground combat skill set. So I would just start to roll that in with it. Like, okay, you guys are going to lift those stupid things over there. And then you're going to run over there. Um, in 2006, I got deployed and I was there for a year working at a prison. And every day was like Groundhog Day. The key to keeping people contained is you have to keep them on a schedule. So the hard part is guard is that means you're on their schedule. And it was like six days a week, 14 hour shift. And I would get off, go work out, go grab some food, wash, repeat. And I started to get bored of it. I was getting in all my workouts. I was making good progress, but I just felt like I was in that training doldrums. Like, Oh, you know, another day of deadlifting and military pressing. Right. Um, never thought about that schedule thing, but that's totally what it was like. I worked as a, I worked as an enforcement officer in a psych ward for a while. And it was even more regimented schedule than I'd imagine because, you know, you got to keep their psych in check and they're, they're all, you know, that's it. Whatever them. schedule you're putting you them on, you're really putting yeah. yourself on you're first. Putting the same officers with the same people and all this stuff and looking at it in retrospect, you're like, yeah, you were basically just creating a, a groundhog's day situation for those patients. Yeah. That's, that's it. And, and if you don't do that, you're going to have, absolute chaos right (laughs) so i was on um bud jeffrey's email list Mm -hmm. um i've been following bud since i can remember using the internet and bud had posted a link that was for a training product for this guy named mike bruce if you guys have ever heard of mike bruce he does performing strongman um and i just remember i had never seen somebody like this guy he was a freaking animal uh they did like a promo video for the product and Mike was like right at 195, 196. He's repping 650 off the floor. I'm like, dude, this guy's crazy. I want to see his product. So I got that. And then he picked up one of Dennis Rogers' early DVDs where it was Dennis and Pat Povolitis and a couple other guys bending wrenches and all this. And when I saw Dennis bend a wrench the first time, I was just uh, astonished. Yeah. And I thought, this, little, this is either like a that. trick 
Well, he had a 10-inch dude, and he just flattened it over his leg. Just it looked effortless for him. I thought, like okay, 60 pounds or something. And he was, yeah, that was yeah. it. Like, who is this little old man exactly bending this tool? And I thought, okay, that's that's either like a trick, you know, like it's a David Blaine, David Copperfield match trick, or there is something about strength training that I just don't know anything about. Yeah. So I got an interest in bending steel that year. So the rest of my deployment. I started adding in some other stuff that was just keeping me entertained. So bending some steel bars, um, trying to break bolts. Uh, I could get my hands on decks of cards, but at that time I could not get all the way through a deck of cards, but I started working on that. Came back to Okinawa. That's when they sent me back to North Dakota. And when I got there, I finally had the ability to set up a home gym because previous to that year, I was always staying on a base. Um, so I started to set up my home gym. I got really into doing a lot of the classical feats of strength, tearing phone books in half, twisting open horseshoes, um, all just all the different things. And I started to do performances and I was having success. So I was, I was really enjoying that time. Um, I would go out to different meetings. Uh, I'd go out to the job corps, go out to schools there, do a demonstration, do a talk, which I just really, really enjoyed. Uh, in my military career at the time, they had done a restructure of the nuclear command. So the 30-second overview is it used to be several commands had access to a nuclear option. And that was a primary responsibility for them, but they also had a, a wartime mission. Well, there was all these mistakes that were made, big, big fuck-ups, like people getting fired and going to jail. And the DOD's response was to consolidate all of the nuclear in one in one area. Well, the consequence of that is they told everybody that was an E6 or above and all the captains and above, you're going to get a special ex uh, experience identifier, which tells us that you're a nuclear expert and that's going to track the rest of your career. Well, that is like the exact opposite of what I'm looking to do. I did not join the Air Force to sit up in North Dakota and look at a field with nothing going on. I joined because I thought it'd be awesome to either be in my blues in my patrol car in Hawaii. You know what I mean? Yeah. Pull yeah. Over for quick roll on a stop sign. Tell them don't do that. Not to sit up there and freeze my ass off for the next 10 years. So I got out at my 10 year mark. Um, I moved to Minneapolis and then I opened up a gym within a couple months of getting out. Now for me during that time, there was, there was kind of a little shit-talking session that was going on online in a couple of the group communities with one of the base premises being that, that there was a couple of guys that were very, very high-level grip competitors over in Europe. And what they said is, is that, you know, you guys don't get it with the performing angle because I can do everything you guys do, but you guys can't do anything that I do. And a lot of guys were like so butthurt over that. But to me, I said, you know, he, he might have a point. So, okay, show me what you guys got on your sports side. So I jumped in and started doing a grip strength competition. Um, in 2010, I had probably six or seven meets that we threw. We had a World Strongest Hand Series where a bunch of promoters worldwide were working off of a score sheet of David Horn. Mm -hmm. That later on became the King Kong of grip contests, if you guys have ever seen that yep. advertised yep. online. King Kong came from Strongest Hands. Mm -hmm. Um in my local area for our gym, we would use Saturdays as the play day. So we would have a strongman meet one Saturday. We'd have a, a tactical strength challenge, the kettlebell challenge the next. We would have a grip contest. We might do like a, 
uh, more of a CrossFit style workout or a body weight thing. And we started building a community and that went really well. Um, so for a couple of years, I spent time operating the gym. Uh, I worked downtown at a bar in the evenings and then I would just go travel and play. And it was a, it was really, really fun. We ended up opening a second gym and then I sold out my portion. Uh, I was having some health problems due to an injury in the military. So I started looking around, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? And I, I came and visited Texas in the very beginning of 2014. And for me, that was the first time in years that I did not experience a, a daily migraine. I think the atmosphere up in Minnesota is just too volatile or something. So I came down here in 2014. Um, and I had a couple of years where I didn't really train any of the grip side. I was doing gymnastics. I did not learn gymnastics as a kid, but I started to teach myself that when I was about 30. And after a couple of years for a big, you know, six, two, you don't really see a lot of gymnasts that are that size. And I started to be able to do all the stuff that I would see when I'd go like a Cirque du Soleil show. Mm -hmm. um, in 2018, I actually got a call one day from Tommy Jennings and he said, hey, we're going to start a, like a, a monthly training group. We'd like you to come out and try it out. And I said, that sounds cool. Um, and then I resumed competing in uh, December that year. And then, man, from if you go like December 2018 up until today, I think I got in another 25 contests. Wow. Both local, um, traveling, the different expos that went on. And then I even went out to Europe um, a year and a half ago to compete with the Finns. <coughs> and that's been really fun. Stuff in Europe that we don't have, like the Logan lift and some other crazy stuff. It's, it's neat. They they um they have a completely different style that they like to contest. Mm -hmm. um, I will tell you, I don't think the European style is very strong. They have a lot more holding weight for time, and they like like the Europeans will like to take a little metal object and say, "Okay, we're going to try to pick it up with two fingers, and let's see who can lift ten kilos." I'm not into that oh. shit. Yeah, man, all that kind of died out like the weaver stick. We talked about that a little bit. And I mean, you can only lift like six, seven pounds or the records like well, that's it. You, you go tell your buddies, yeah. dude, I'm a world record grip holder. And they're like, cool. What can you lift? Six pounds. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I, I'm not into anything when the, if the max, if the best guy in the world can't lift 100 pounds on it, I, I don't give a shit about it. I just I, I don't because. I'm a lifter first and foremost. You know what I mean? The, the reason you lift weight is to get stronger. Um, the thing that got me back into competing was the stand-up for the arm lifting league. Okay. And the biggest difference, if I had to talk about, okay, what is the difference of the sport? You've got some federations where they use a ton of different lifts. You know, Logan lift and hub lift and all these goofy fucking little bitty things where no one's lifting any weight. And the problem is every meet is different. So if you're competing in that league, you're not even getting to compare how your meet prep was from this one to that one because all the events are different. With the arm lifting league, it's the same core events season to season. We're not doing any big change-ups on it. And then it's an agreed-upon ancillary kind of little bucket of things over here. So most of the time, if someone says they're doing an arm lifting meet, well, I know what lifts we're going to be doing. And, you know, if you were a power lifter, 
but you're going to go to this meet and we're going to do bent over rows and good mornings and shoulder press. And you're going to do this meet and it's a squat and a lunge. You'd be like, wait a minute, that's not powerlifting. Powerlifting is these three things. Well, for me, that was what the arm lifting side did is it, it gave us a template where you can actually project out over the year, what kind of gains you're going to see. And I think that's going to be huge. And then the great thing is, is we've got some super strong guys in the league. So it's not that hard to wake up and look at what the other guys are doing and get motivated to go put in work. You know what I mean? Like if you're creating a new handle every single week, well then, yeah, I'm sure there's 10 world record holders over here and none of you guys can lift shit. And that's one of the predicaments that the U S side got into. So what I would like to see, what the guys that lifted me would like to see is more people getting into the core lifts because it will actually show up in everything else you do. If you guys decided that, you know what, for the next six months, we're going to make sure we lift the blue fat grips overhand, you know, every week. Yeah. Well, at the end of six months, there'd be a predictable, not just gain in hand strength, but that was a lot of extra deadlifting. So there's going to be more muscle mass, more power, more endurance. That's what I would want to see for somebody. Yeah, um, switched to a program more like that recently. Uh, yes. Every week, you know, hitting it hard every week and Saxon bar on a regular basis and using, you know, more big pinch and big fat bar implements. So yeah, we focus on the core lifts a little more now. I'll tell you guys the, the highest payoff you're going to get. It's going to be your overhand lift on something that is opening your hand up this way. You know, there's a lot of diameters. There's a lot of grips on the market. I don't care which grip someone uses, get you a pair of grips. Uh, shit guys. I was at the Academy here in Weatherford the other day. And they have like a no-name brand of grips hanging up in the store for six bucks. Yep. Some cheap you can't, Amazon ones or something. Yep. Yeah. Like if you're in the USA and you can't drop six bucks for training equipment, we've got so much bigger problems in your life right now than training. Yeah. Um, I get it that some people are cheap, but my word, it will pay you so much. Exactly. That's one. Number two, a Saxon bar. And if somebody won't go buy them one, you could go to Home Depot and grab a two by six, grab a 12 inch spike, pound it through halfway on each side and you could slide plates on there and yep. have you a sloppy Saxon bar that would work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, those two things will take you farther than the next three years of say one hand plate pinching, hub lifting and any of the key pinches. Yep. It's not that they're bad, but it would be like if I told you guys, I really want to build up my legs. And you said, awesome, what's your plan? And I said, I'm going to walk for 10 minutes a day and do leg extensions. <laughs> You'd be like, bro, that, that, that could be a component of a leg workout. You can't tell me that is your leg workout. See you in five right? years. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. I think that would make such a change for down. folks. Yeah, two of the big lists we do is Fat Bar Axle and Saxon Bar. So, you know, when we, we first got into grip, there was a ton of junk, you know. We look, we look at it and go, wow, there's 50 different implements. And, yeah, we had we narrowed it down pretty quick to what was actually, you know, hitting us hard and doing something, for sure. An idea that I would give every person who's evaluating if they want to do some grip training. So, some things are good for competition. And they're okay for training. Some things are really good for training and they're okay or less than okay for a competition. Yeah. 
it's useful to understand what are you looking at and what is your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Um, if someone was telling me, you know, dude, I don't care about competing. I don't care about leaderboards. I don't care about none of that nonsense. I just want a stronger hand. Awesome. Overhand deadlifts, effect grips. If they're saying they want to compete, then the question would be, what are you going to compete in? And let's get your equipment as close as you can to that. Um, I'll tell you right now, Rolling Thunder, not a bad way for people to lift and to be able to compare this, this, this guy to that guy. Um, in terms of training, though, for a lot of people, Rolling Thunder is a terrible handle to lift on. Yeah. Just, just awful. It's absolutely awful. Um, the whole intention of it was to give people a way to build up to lifting an inch dumbbell. So Not an inch dumbbell, weighs, yep, they, they weigh about 78 kilos, okay? Well, here's the problem. If you can lift 78 kilos on a rolling thunder but not 80 kilos, you are at least this far away from picking up an inch. You're at least 40 pounds away. You would really need to be lifting closer to like 95 to 100 kilos. That's not a great handle. Um, they do make other ones that, that roll super hard. Uh, the one that I would point out to a lot of people if they're looking for something that I feel like is just a better overall training and it doesn't bind up and wear down over time is the Grip Genie rolling grip thing. If you guys have seen that, it's, it's actually a super tough handle. The way that it's built gives you a couple more options and the spin mechanism, it just lasts a lot longer. Yeah, I have just, seen that one. Way better. Alrighty. Um, so yeah, we got a bunch of fan questions that came in, so you're pretty popular, cool. dude. So we're going to go through those real quick, and then he'll, he'll go through the regular questions for you. So um, yeah, buddy. what's the biggest waste of time and money in grip? Great question. Uh, buying grippers. Oh, my God, what a waste. Most people either fall into one of three buckets, okay? They own no grippers, and that's not slowing them down unless they want to, like, certify. Mm -hmm. They own a few grippers. And they may or may not be using them or they own dozens to hundreds of grippers. And I bet they are not even using 5% of their collection over the year. Um, if somebody wanted to get better grippers, what would be better is to get the adjustable style ones. They, there's a couple people that are offering those. Now you guys can look at um, Canon PowerWorks. They've got a couple different adjustable models. Yeah, we got the, the Barber biggest one and the um, Super Gripper. The Super one, and then there's the um, the David Horn version, the Vulcan. Okay. So uh, on that Super Gripper, a lot of guys will tell you that the Super Gripper is not so good because it doesn't translate to torsion spring gripper closes. Well, what I would say is the Super Gripper more aligns with how the average guy who's getting into grip training is thinking he's going to get better. So if you were into wrestling or jujitsu or something, the super gripper motion where you're primarily pulling this way, very, very useful. The torsion spring gripper, it requires a, a technical level up. You have to learn how to use them. And, and here's a couple of things I'll say. So I have personally met eight or nine of the best gripper closers ever, mm -hmm. personally. 
only one of those guys was actually great at all the other lifts. That's Carl Myerskoff. Okay. Carl's like 360 pounds at okay. six foot 10. He's a fucking giant. Dude is good at every single, there's nothing he's bad at in the sport. Well, that guy, if he wanted to, he could do the number four credit card cert right now. Yeah. He put up a video last year where he had like a above level four gripper that he closed twice in a row. The guy's amazing. Um, Steve Anderson, one of my best friends, he's right now top of the mountain with gripper closes. Um, I used to lift to Paul Knight. Paul was top of the mountain gripper closes. He's, a, he's the guy that I learned how to close a, or set a gripper from. His old Really? I'll tell you, most video. of us learned from Paul. And in yeah. that video, it's like, 12 years old it is as relevant right now i still think it's the best gripper uh, video on setting a gripper oh yes yeah. hey and paul's no joke man paul was a super strong guy but here's the thing i would say about grippers in general so it is extremely taxing it's extremely taxing to work on heavy grippers especially because some people get really dumb ideas in their head <laughs> like trying to jam a gripper that they can't even contain and having it tear their hand open, right? That's actually another so, question we're going to be asking here in a little bit. About yeah, that. we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Yeah, so yeah. the thing is this. A person gets all these grippers. They they probably start shopping around for grippers in a way where they're really close incrementally. Mm -hmm. Like this one rates out at 140 and this one at 143 and 145. To the tune of about $25 to $30 a pop. Two things happen. Number one, if they are making their jumps... They're collecting a bigger pile of paperweights to this side, right? Yeah. If you lay them out and I can close all these, then most of these are paperweights. Um, the other thing is, though, is I bet they're not able to do a lot of other things. They're probably going to tell you, man, when I'm working grippers, it's really hard for me to work my fat bar, to work my pinch, to work levering. My hands are so spent. Well, take a look at how much tissue is right here compared to everything else. It, 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 if we did you by weight, you know, like when I quarter a cow, this is not even 1% of the weight of your body. So you're, ex you're, you're exerting 80% of your effort for the tiniest chunk of tissue on your body. And the craziest thing is you could go from, you can't close a three to you can close a three and that strength might not actually be showing up anywhere. And that's, that's one of the things we see is that guys will really put a lot of time in on grippers and you'd be thinking, all right, my hands are getting strong now. They go back and they test all these other things and it's not seen an improvement. The other way you could do it, all right, you guys look at Tanner Merkel. Uh, I have never seen Tanner do a gripper workout in my life, ever. We've lifted together a hundred times, mm -hmm. but I have seen his grippers that he can close going up and up and up. Okay. Well, what does Tanner do? Heavy fat bar, heavy two-hand fat bar, heavy pinch, um, uh, really heavy one-arm pull-ups and shit, and he climbs. So doing all of those and seeing the resistance go up over the years, uh, Tanner's put up videos, you guys will see, he can credit card set a 3.5, okay. he's ready to cert, uh, and he can close a four from parallel now. Okay. Wow. Three years ago, he could not do either of those. He actually did his number three cert at my house. His Captain of Crush profile photo, he's holding my big gray cat wow. standing in my living room. Yeah, awesome. I've never seen Tanner train grippers, wow. yeah, but I've seen Tanner train heavy. 
right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, he's, so, he's what is he on fat bar? He's well over 400 on double overhand, isn't he? Oh, yes. Tanner got so at we did the Corona Cup last year when Arnold got canceled and Tanner locked out 440 and held it weighing about 205 or maybe he was closer to 210, but it was double body weight on the axle. That's awesome. Um, Tanner's lifted. I've seen him do 171 in a rolling thunder and I've seen him get in the two sixties in a meet. Um, Tanner's done a bunch of things in my gym that no one has replicated yet. So he's pinched my hundreds. They're really tall. Yeah, They're yeah. super hard to pinch. Um, he can lift my green belt. He's the only person that's ever lifted my green belt. And I've put oh. a lot of people in front of that bell. It weighs 213, but it's a stainless steel handle. So oh, it doesn't okay. take chalk, and it is yeah. smooth, man. Um, I've seen Tanner do a one-arm pull-up on nearly every kind of grip handle you can imagine. So he can do one-arms off the little big horn. I'd love to see if he can do arm on a golden potato. No one's done it yet. I, you know what? I, I'll, I'll bet. So going that he can get a pull-up on the grab ball. Yep. And I looked at the shape of your guy's potato. I would be positive Tanner will do a one-arm pull-up on it the day that I put in front of him. He's, he's strong, guys. He's fucking strong. Yeah, uh, watching him. For me, in the last three seasons, I have only lost a meet to Tanner about 19 times in a row. And then, <laughs> uh, right, that's it. Um, and then the only other time I lost to, to somebody was in Finland. I took third out of 47. So Arto took first overall. Okay, yeah. Um, damn it, who took second? He's he had huge freaking hands. Um, and the name will pop up. I'm I'm it's it's right on the tip of my tongue, but this guy had crazy ass hands. He was super lightweight, but he was strong as shit. And then it was me. Uh, and then at the Arnold, Carl was like first for heavyweights, first for the meat. I think Tanner would have been second for that one. And I'm thinking Jed would have been – Jed and Yes would have been third, so it would have been fifth there. But uh, out of the 100-kilo class, like, I'm always been a couple points Tanner, but, man, he just – he's so hard to catch. Yeah. I would hope everybody who's in a sport gets to be to this position where you're number two chasing a number one because it's a lot easier to stay hungry oh, to take that last little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. There's been a lot of that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, honestly, when seeing Tanner Merkel and his age and his progression, we think like, wow, he might actually be the first guy to, you know, step above Chris James on the axle, which is just absurd. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I'll tell you who we'll see. So if we talk just heavy guys um, out of hundred kilo, it'll either be, it's either going to be him or me coming up over the next year. Um, we're both we're both really close to 450 right now. We got a meet at the end of this month um, that we're both going to come in really well recovered for. I won't be surprised if we get a 450 axle lift at that meet. So there's a guy, um, David Lab. He mm -hmm. posts on Instagram as D Lab. Yeah. If you guys have yeah. seen him, he looks he looks like he's 270 to 280. He's put up a 500 double overhand now mm -hmm. in like the last 10 days. Uh, Carl Myerskoff is over 500 right now. Yeah. Um, Mark Felix in the UK is probably closer to 530, 540 right now. Uh, Rich Williamson in the USA is easily over 530, 540. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if we'll see Rich come out for a meet. Yeah. Rich 
I just I don't know what I don't know what's going on with that. But Rich put up some pretty crazy Apollo acid lifts, and um, man, I don't know. There's there's not there's not that many guys that are moving really impressive weights right now, and that's what we're looking to see change. Um, for a lot of people, if they jump into sport today, their axle is going to be the slowest thing to come up the first couple of years. It just takes time. Yeah, Mark Felix is, is he surprised <laughs> me. He's so much stronger now than he was during his strongman career. It's like, what is going on with him? That's just so impressive for his age and how much how many gains he's getting right now. It's incredible. So the thing I would tell everyone to plan on is that, you know, as you're getting older, yeah, your knees are seeming to get worse and your back hurts more, but your hands will keep getting stronger. So for guys that are in grip sport arm wrestling, arm lifting, what we see with them, getting older is typically moving them up. Yeah, look at Odd Halkin. Yeah. Yes, and yeah, that's a great example for... Juice guys. I think the last year has probably really been hard on him yeah. because, you know, his gym is a livelihood, and that was taken away. Um, so I think that we'll see a whole new ode once they get running again. But, you know, even for him... I've lifted against Ode when he was like 64, 68, and then 70. And all three of those meets over the years, it's amazing because he lifted about the same or he'd even get a little bit better over the years. Wow. It's, it's really something. And that's it is your hands will keep you, – you just don't have atrophy in the hands unless you're sitting on your ass doing nothing the way that you naturally might with like – you know, if a guy's got really big, strong legs in his 30s and 40s, he might be seeing a decline coming into the 50s. I, I don't know. But I know for grip strength, it will just keep climbing. We have not seen the best out of Mark. I guarantee that. Like cool. Mark Felix, prob if Rogue was to do a two-inch diameter bar record breaker at the Arnold this coming year, mm -hmm. which there's a couple of us hoping they would do that, I wouldn't be surprised to see a guy like Mark come out and pull 550 on it. That'd be awesome, man. That'd be crazy. I'd love to see that. So um, you kind of answered this, but what's the best investment? Okay, best investment if we go low dollar to high dollar. Um, pair of fat grips or similar grips. I, I Like I said, I don't, I don't necessarily think one brand is better than the other. I just say that the same way you call, you know, tissue paper Kleenex, right? It's not called a Kleenex. It's a brand. Yeah, exactly. Fat grips. Um, if someone's going to spend some more money, get a Saxon barbell. I think companies like Arm Assassin Strength Shop, Sorenex.com, um, you can get a Saxon bar for under 200 bucks. You're once you have it, you're you're always going to have it. There's not, you're not going to wear it out. Um, if you can go a little bit higher dollar from there, getting an Apollon axle would be super useful to you. Not all axles are two inch diameter. So it's just a thing to know. Like, I, I know that Titan sells a bar that's super cheap. One line. But what I guarantee is when you put your hands around it, it's way smaller than two. Yeah, and it, it does make a difference. We have the Titan one. It's a 1.9. 1 1.9. 1 it, it makes a difference. I mean, yeah. for me, that that one-tenth of the inch adds maybe 30 pounds. It, it makes a big difference. So yeah. if, you, if you can get an Apollon axle, guys, if you want to compete, it makes a big difference. Um. A wrist wrench, super useful. They're not that hard to make yourself. If you're strong, buy one so that doesn't break and injure you one day. 
but uh, a wrist wrench allows you to train very, very high stress, relatively low resistance. Yeah. Um, so I, I love wrist wrenches. And if there was any other thing, if you guys really wanted to, to drop some coin that would change your life, get yourself a circus belt. There is something to it when it's one solid mass. It now has a rotational characteristic when you go to pick it up. For those of you guys that have like put a fat grip on a dumbbell and lifted it, mm -hmm. you, you won't even you won't even believe how different it is. So I've taken a 78 kilo inch to fitness expos and watched a thousand guys who had way more muscle than I have not lift that bell an inch off the floor. Yeah. Um, the, the circus bell will transform it. Because the shot moves inside them, they aren't the same, are they? The shot's not even close. It's it's one of those things that like uh, I I can clean an inch at one seventy if it's full shot. Mm. That shit ain't even hard because it doesn't rotate the way the normal one does. Yeah. Um, definitely, guys. If if you you know your uh, an inch dumbbell is going to run you around five hundred bones plus another three hundred dirty socks have it shipped to you, but it will last longer than anything else you own. You know what I mean? Yeah, that'd be the big um, one. Those are great. Yeah. What I would not what I would not look at, guys, your first couple of years is I would not look at anything that you cannot get excited thinking about lifting it weekly. Okay. For your first year, if you look at that and you don't get like, ooh, I really want to get after that, pass. Pass. Because it's just going to become another paperweight, another argument with your wife one day on why you spent all that money on that thing you don't even <laughs> use. Should decent pass. strong guys just skip the baby inch? Um, I wouldn't recommend a baby inch to anybody. Yeah. And it's because you're well, paying 80%. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're 80% there. And like, the thing about it is this. So if you guys look on Instagram, my buddy, Brad Nelson, uh, Brad got into grip this year in March, really heavy. A couple months back, he got himself two different inch dumbbells. He got a 135 and a 175 from Jason Adamski in St. Paul. Uh, excuse me, St. Cloud, Minnesota. And he told me day one, he's like, dude, I, I honestly thought it would be different. He's like, I don't know if I can do anything with this. I said, nonsense. We're going to walk you right into it. If you look at from the first day he got that belt to today, which has only been about 12 weeks, he's already nearly there. So if somebody gets a belt that's too heavy, they can probably work and do a lot of things with it. If the bell's too light in the beginning and you're easily lifting it, where are you going to go next? Yeah. So I would tell a lot of people, pass on the baby inches, pass on. Um, if it's under 150, I wouldn't even go for it. Mm -hmm. And it's because assuming you keep training, you will be able to handle that weight easily. Um, you'll hear these stories. The guys that will tell you they've had it. Like there are guys online who will say things like, I've had an inch dumbbell for 20 years and I haven't picked it up. That's because you don't know how to fucking train. That's what that's called. You just yeah. don't know how to train. You totally could get it. You just don't know how to train. Absolutely. Okay, so on the negative topic, um, what's your opinion about uh, the negative machines, like the Grippernator and the Extreme Grip machine? Dumb. Okay, let's guys, let's look at any other exercise. I tell you my plan is I want to move from a 500-pound back squat to an 800-pound back squat. So my plan is I'm going to load up 800 pounds, unrack it, 
and just fight it as it crushes me down to the pins day after day. <laughs> Good plan, bad plan. Yeah. I swear it's a bad plan. If I tell you I'm going to go from a 350 bench press to a 580 bench press, and my plan is I'm going to unrack 580 and just let it crush me like a bug, you guys will be like, don't do that to yourself. It's so dangerous. It is no less dangerous when you bring it down to just the hand. Um, the number of guys that have hurt their hands this way, it's pretty huge. Yeah. Uh, without a doubt, grippers are the most dangerous piece of equipment in the sport, and it's because it can move you when you don't want to get moved. I think the most you know, famous um, promoter of negatives is probably Tommy, and didn't he have to take a year off after the four or something like that? He messed up his finger a little bit. I love Tommy. I'm such a fan of Tommy, but Tommy's so fucked up, he literally can't do anything he wants to do anymore. Over the last three years, I've had a number of comments from Tommy that's like, man, I wish I could do that, but my elbow's too fucked up. And that's the thing is it's like the other part about that is what it took to close the number four with the previous rule was a very tall order, but it was manageable. They were allowed to bring it to parallel and then go for a close. When you look at the requirements now, so I've got an eight and a quarter hand. When I put a gripper in my hand, when I go to back it out for a credit card set, my pinky's almost coming off the handle. Now, I know Tommy's hands are smaller. So if you've got an under eight inch hand and you're trying to get to a three, five or a four, we're talking about an enormous amount of energy pulling this hand open as you go to rewrap. It's, it's, it's just going to be very risky. If the way the plan is, is to overcome that is to use the things like, you know, the negative machines. Um, most people do not use them correctly. What you'll see them do is they load it up. They pull it shut and wrap their hand around it. That does nothing for you. It's not training this. It's a complete, it's a different bone alignment. It looks similar, but it is not the same. Um, I personally do not know anybody who actually made progress doing negatives. I don't. I've heard people say that they did, but when I look at, when I ask them like, okay, where's your grippers at right now? Well, they're not great. Um, I think they're, I think it's a very, very risky practice. And I think the whole thing is built on a marketing mythology story. Okay. The Joe Kinney, uh, thing. There's, there's more questions and answers. Okay. And, and over the, and the, the yeah, thing is the consequence of that is this. <laughs> yeah. There, there are people doing really dumb things because they were told that that's all legit. Yeah. I don't know if it's legit. I know this. If I was strong enough to close a four slowly and then grind the handles, that would mean that, say, if you handed me a number three, I would be able to close it like this for maybe yeah. 20. Easy. Now, how do I know that? Um, when when I did uh, 2012 U.S. Grip Nationals, I closed a 183 rated gripper. It was a super elite to take second in the gripper event. Derniat did like a fucking crazy ass 192 or something. Damn. Now the same month that I could close that 183, mm -hmm. I could grab a three and I could do this with it 10 or 11 times. Okay. And if you let me deep set it, I could make it click maybe 30 times. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
The, the problem with Kenny in my mind is that the eyewitnesses that met him, first of all, the craziest thing is these guys went to go see a guy and the only reason they're going to see him was for grippers and they didn't ask him to close a gripper. <laughs> yeah, I've heard the biggest he's closed and anybody's really witnessed in person is like a two. Yeah, it's a two. So even if it's he was like huge at one time, it destroyed him. Like you said, what happened with other people that did negatives. Even if he was, you know, great at one time, which I don't think he was ever at the level we saw on video, but if he was ever even at a great level, I think, it, it, like you said, it probably destroyed him doing that secret weapon work and all the other negative work he did. Now, and hey, you know, the other thing is this. All right, let's say something was legit, but then you start tacking things that are not true on top of it. It makes it a dirty wash. We call the whole thing a loss. Yeah. And Kenny's gone online back when he was online, and he would make statements like he's done an inch dumbbell hand-to-hand -hand pass. Motherfucker, no, you didn't. You're telling me you lifted the inch that was over your body weight, passed it hand-to-hand, -hand, because he said a few times. I, I just, I don't believe it. Yeah. I know I can do that. And the thing is, is that if you put an inch dumbbell in front of me any day of the week, I can do that for you. Haven't trained being able to do it in 10 years, can still do it. So it'd be a thing of like, oh, so Joe, you'd have no problem picking up an inch right now. Yeah. But yeah. of course, they, that wasn't an option. But no, man, for you guys that believe the Kenny mythology, you, know, you probably believe in a lot of other things that can't be proven. Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and unicorns and... Kenny claimed that he could twist the broomstick hey, and break it. up here in Washington, okay? We can't, we can't mess with that guy, okay? <laughs> yeah, we even have the Sasquatch squeeze because Yeah, of exactly. We have buddies that competed in the Sasquatch squeeze. Hey, <laughs> I, I will say this. So I do, know, I do know enough mathematics to say this. North America, right? You got about 340 million Americans. You got another, I think, 30 to 40 million Canadians. Not counting Mexico. I haven't heard a Bigfoot Mexican story yet. So you take North American Canada. <laughs> awesome. Then you take a map and you say, where are the people? And what percentage of landmass does it cover? Between Canada and the USA, only about 20% of the landmass is occupied by human. Like when you look at how fucking huge Canada is, yeah, yeah. dude, yeah. only a so I will say this, 10% of the population Sasquatch is mathematically more likely than Joe <laughs> Kinney crushing oh, totally and over crushing it and then doing 60 rep back squat of 500 pounds. I'm not buying none of that shit. And if you find Sasquatch, I bet you need to close the number four, unlike Kinney. Well, if it, if it's as big <laughs> as these guys all tell me, a, a Sasquatch would be a whole new category. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, any changes uh, in your grip training philosophies since Industrial Grip Volume 2? Uh, yes. So um, over the years, I have made the, the biggest change in how I roll is the frequency in which I lift. So, um, you know, in the beginning, doing some of the stuff can be really taxing. But if you keep at it over the years, that part changes. So for me... I pull on an axle four or five days a week. I two-hand pinch three, four days a week. And that is not the only workout. That's an element of it. Um, for a lot of people, I think that if we can get them to more frequently lifting without an attitude that it has to be at a certain percentage, they would be getting a, a better all overall result. Yeah. So um, when I come in, 
I'm just lifting up to what feels good that day. If I miss any reps, I'll quit doing that thing and go to another one. Okay. Um, so I don't use any programming templates, nothing like that. Um, it's, it's more going to be based on how am I feeling today? What feels strong? Where can I get in some work? How many days a week and, are you training grip? Uh, right now, five. Five, okay. And heavy every day? <laughs> heavy for all of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, heavy for you. Oh, uh, no, not for me. Heavy. But like for me, okay, so guys, right now, um, I have done a 70-day stretch that I deadlifted 405 on my axle consecutive days, not missing a day. Okay. My warm-up weight on my Saxon right now is 242. I don't even start counting reps until I start at that weight. Um, so, like, for me, how often will I go heavy? Like, last so week I went... on grip every day is what you're saying? You can go heavy, pretty heavy on grip almost every day? It... But percentage-wise, I would imagine most of the time I'm between 75 and 85%. Okay, like, okay. if I really looked at it and said, okay, what is my real max and what am I doing? I'm probably there. Now, why would that work? Um, and for some of you guys, especially in this modern world, those of you guys that have never had a labor job, you know, if you were paying me to be a stonemason, that would mean five days a week, probably six. You're expecting me to show up and, and put stones in formation, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I can't come in Wednesday and say, you know, boss, I really moved a lot of bricks yesterday. And, uh, you know, the dickheads online said you shouldn't be working out three days in a row. So I no, you would show up and you'd work and then you'd go work out. So, you know, the way I view it as you can actually get a lot done every day if you're not taking it to the max, like. If you watch anything that I do, I almost never even get red faced or a neck vein pops out. Yeah. Like the way that you see other people use the word try is not in my vocabulary. I do not try. I'm either going to lift it or I'm not going to lift it. And if it feels hard that day, a lot of times, whatever, I'll give that lift up. Mm -hmm. um, that whole like do or die hardcore fitness, that's all bullshit. This is something you do to yourself. That'd be like you telling me, man, I really go hard when I shower. Okay, what's that mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's more of a product of do the mechanical work, get the right amount of nutrition, get the right amount of rest, and things will go fine. And, and what a lot of people don't understand is uh, heavy is not what messes us up as much as extreme effort and density so someone actively getting emotionally psyched up to do something it costs more than not doing that right. think about it imagine Absolutely. you wake up in the morning and you know you got to have a really tough conversation with somebody you don't want to do it and now it's on your mind and you're eating your breakfast and you're thinking about this and you're driving to work white knuckle thinking about it right it's not that the conversation is hard you made it hard you made it exhausting a lot of people have a mindset that makes their training exhausting. And the, the thing is about it is it's all very testable. So if someone's saying what, what I'm doing is working for me, cool, then you have your results. So you know that if anybody's doubting if it's working, what I would say is what if we peeled back most of the dumb things that you only do because you've seen another dumb person do that, like screaming and psyching up. Well, if we were at a powerlifting meet and you're going to finally try a lift that you haven't hit all year, 
that might make sense. It might. I'm not saying it does. It might. Um, if you look at taking that attitude into every lift you do, you're not going to be lifting that much. And that's what I see the most is the guys that if they don't learn to self-regulate, they end up having a, a history of training that sounds like I was doing good and then I got hurt and then I was off and then I came back in and I was doing okay and then I got hurt. Um, for me, guys, I have not missed a week of training since I was 16 years old. Not one. Not one. And that's with multiple spinal injuries and some torn ligaments and other problems. You can still keep doing things if you have the right mindset. It's, it's mindset before all other things. 100% agree with that. That's absolutely, yeah, really good advice. Um, so are we going to see a volume three? Yes. So awesome. the what will come next will be, there'll be a, a, a product for training specifically for, you know, hey, I play football and I want to have a better grip, right? Or I'm a, I'm a softball player, I want a better grip. There'll be a training side product. There'll be a competition side product. I've had it in my mind to do the competition product for a while, but there wasn't enough people competing that I thought it'd be relevant. Well, the last two years has been really good for grip sport. Yeah, man, You man, got man, guys man. like oh, Juji, yeah. you got guys like Larry Wheels, um, guys yeah, like Devin Laird and Wheels Michael Todd. Yeah, it's crazy. I couldn't believe that Larry Wheels went over to Iron Mind. I mean, that was huge. So Larry is, in my opinion, He's currently the most important person in spreading fitness. Yep. You know, whether whether yep. or not somebody um whether or not somebody even thinks grip matters or not, yep. the fact that millions of people are seeing Larry do it, exactly. the fact that Larry, you know, he looks like a Mr. Olympia, but then he lifts like a world champion. Dude, he's just yep. he's just an unbelievable athlete. Most yeah. guys that I think have ever been on a gripper before is when he held one. Uh, it's just crazy. That was cool to see. Yeah, that was really good. Cool. And, and, you know, Larry is legitimately strong. Uh, Larry came out to the the 2019 Viking Vice Grip in L.A. that Ode hosted. Uh, Larry pulled a 440 axle that day. Damn. I mean, the thing I'll guarantee is this, is every person who has any commentary about Larry that's negative could not lift 440. I'll promise you that. Yeah. So, it's, it's a, you know, it's a thing where – He's a great ambassador for the sport, whether or not he's trying to be. He's he's become the guy. Uh, John Call, you know, Juji Mufu, same thing. John's into a lot of stuff, but he's into grip enough where millions of people are being exposed. So I would I would very much see a a competition prep product. With the big thing being is I want to help the people get to the point. Okay, I'll tell you this right now, guys. I can tell you what I will make at a meet without a miss. And I can usually guess what I'll max out that day. If I could help other people understand that, I think they'd have a lot more fun in competition. Oh yeah. Because the, you know, what makes it fun is when you hit your projection and what makes it not as fun. It's not when you win and lose. It's when you fail to meet the mark of what you set for yourself. Yep. You know, fr frustrating to me is not that somebody better showed up that day. That's good. I don't want to be lifting in a league where I'm the very top guy and no one's close. That would that'd be the wrong call. What makes me frustrated is when my prep doesn't go right. You know what I mean? So um, for the guys that are in the sport, I would like to do that. Uh, we actually have 
there's going to be eight or nine things that will come out in a rapid succession that are collaborations of some other people. Um, some of them are, are at a very early stage where it's, it's more of a promissory thing than a reality thing, but the ones that are actually working coming along are looking quite good. Um, I think that there's a really big market globally. And what I would really like to see is to be able to create something that can not just be offered in America, but could be offered like, for example, right now, if you think about the entire world and you look at all the kinds of grip sport, what are you missing? All of South America, millions of people. Yeah. And we, we really have not seen China, India, Korea, Japan come out and play. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you now, when, when the Asians and the South it's Americans get involved. Oh, yeah. Well, think about this, dude. You know, for weight classes, the under 180 mark is about to swell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When, when mm -hmm. you get that Asian market in, the 100, the 100 to 150 range, all of a sudden, you're going to have people that are going to be nearly top unbeatable at that weight class. Is a Korean guy, isn't it? Top of the mash monster list. I think that's a Korean guy, isn't it? The only MM8 closer. That's Steven. Well, Steven and, and um, Morgan. I don't know if Morgan got the eight. I know he got the seven. Okay. I think, I think, I think Morgan got the seven and Steven got the eight. Okay. Um, but it, I'll tell you though, Morgan is, he's a very big guy for being a Korean. I mean, okay. shit, he's like an inch taller than me and he's probably oh. 230, 240. He's a big guy. Yeah, Strong I mean, guy. how big he was on video. You know, you, you only really see his arm. So, yeah. Didn't realize he was that big. Um, yeah. On my YouTube, if you guys look back around early 2019, there was a day that Morgan came out and lifted almost oh. at my house. He, he picked up, um, he had lifted an inch dumbbell and a 200 pound dumbbell that day, one in each hand. Wow. And you guys will see, like, he's not a little dude. He's not a little dude. He's a very, very intelligent trainer. You know, I think he's a, a math teacher. Yeah, that's wrong. We had a Korean martial arts instructor that had these wrists that were like probably eight and a half inches. I mean, just a monster guy. He so. looks good, six three, six yeah. four two. So, um, let's see. Uh, breath control tips. Oh, breath control tips. Is that how they? Is that how they wrote the question? Well, they ordered the question. Uh, what? Advice do you have for beginners in grip in regards to breath control? Fucking just breathe. That, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, see, so guys, that's an example of where you, you have this whole amount of work in front of you and, and you're trying to figure out details that wouldn't matter. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, here's the thing. So for, for all of your guys' deadlifts, you have hopefully reached a point that you have a comfortable deadlifting style, whatever it is, I don't want to, I don't want to dick up your style. Well, for most of these grip events, the biggest change will be is how the hand is arranged. And then it's your deadlift, whatever you like to do. Um, what I would say for a lot of people during the set, there is a way to breathe as you're going from rep to rep, right? There's a way to breathe. If you're doing walking lunches across the parking lot, there's a way you would breathe if you had 500 pounds on your back. Yep. The key thing is however you're supposed to be breathing at the first rep should be how you're breathing at the last rep. 
When your breath changes patterns, stop that set. Advice. That that would be the, the biggest thing on breath control. So same thing for me. If you are in the gym lifting with me, I never get noisy. You're, you're not going to hear that because it's not necessary. You've been told that's necessary, but no, it's not. It is not necessary to get into like very heavy breathing. Um, uh, especially because here's, you know, big, big surprise. Just like how strength is super specific, you know, Having a great bench press doesn't mean a great military press, does it? No. That doesn't mean that. Well, cardio is very specific. It, it just is. The, the way you might be breathing for a long-distance run is not necessarily the way you'd be breathing for a swim, not necessarily the way you'd be breathing if you were throwing a kettlebell around or jumping a rope. Yeah. Um, so for every activity, there is going to be a way that you're breathing when you first begin the first rep. Stop the set when that changes. Okay. And then resume as soon as you feel ready to go. That that's how I do it. Um, the the thing I'd caution against you guys is <laughs> be, be be very careful about these people that you're gonna ask them a lifting question and they don't want to address your lifting question and they want to talk about breathing. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. that's that's fucking kooky. First, let's get you picking that shit up and yeah. down. <laughs> Let's get you mechanically more efficient. And then we'll start worrying about if we're squeezing out another 1% or whatever with the breathing. 100% agree on that. Um, so if someone wants to check off like the classic feats of grip, so lifting the blob, maybe pinching 90 pounds, hub lifting, tearing a deck of cards, what order should they tackle the classic grip feats in? What do you think is a good? That, that's a good question. Order. Okay. The first thing that person would have to define is what is important. Um, meaning, okay, one of the one of the more classic feats would involve scale weights. Well, those are not as common. Yeah. So if you could get your hands on a pair of scale weights, might be harder than if you'd ever lift them. If you can get your hands on an anvil, that might be harder than ever actually lifting it. So the, the first thing I would ask is, what do you have access to? What are you already good at? What is interesting to you? Um, and, and that's the big thing because it will not be interesting to anybody else. I, I, I can't overstress that part too. Some people have an idea that once I can do this thing, people are going to respond differently. That is not true. Um, if, if you currently, you know, uh, you think that one day if you could hub a 45, somebody in your life would treat you differently. They won't, they won't, it does not work that way, guys. Um, I would, I would want to make sure that a guy does not have it in his head, this misconception, this way of thinking that once I could do this thing, everything else would be better. It, that's, that's not how this game is played. Um, the other thing is that it's, I wouldn't know where to draw the line but there does appear to be a limit of how many things you can actually get better at in a given time. So what I have always done is I break out the month into blocks. So for two or three weeks, I might be working on a thing. And then for two or three weeks, I might work on another thing. How I organize those is really dependent on, for me, sport events coming up. So like for me this year, you'll see a lot more arm wrestling associated work 
not as much with some of the other stuff I've done in the past, because for me, the, the priority is getting into arm wrestling tournaments. Um, so just in terms of classic feats, okay, card tearing is, is easiest access. You can get a deck of cards within five minutes. If you're in any city, any town, any village, you're, pardon me guys, you're like one gas station stop away from having a deck of cards in your hand, right? Um, nail bending, it's a, it's a good, it's a good feat of strength. It will make you strong. I recommend that one for folks. Um, you know, everything else though, man, it just comes down to what is important to you. Like the, the blobs and the block weights, very, very expensive to get your hands on them. Um, and and <laughs> the annoying thing you're going to find is, well, let's say one of you guys goes out and you buy a blob and you pay probably way too much money for it. They're going to, they're going to charge it right out the nose on you. You're going to lift it. And then the next thing has happened is some dickhead's going to put a comment in on how, well, oh, that's an easy blob. You should have got this one or that one. And you're like, I didn't yeah. even know there was. So it's like yeah, the shit gets awesome. really nerdy fast. It gets yeah. just super fucking nerdy where all of a sudden, you know, somebody hub lifts a plate and somebody else is there to tell them, oh, that one's easy to hub. And you should have got the man. You, you guys have got to find the training that is relevant to you. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's where you'd be happiest with it. The only reason I've had any amount of success is I'm able to train the things that are enjoyable to me personally. So like, in fact, if you look at the majority of grip events that I train are not even contest lifts. You know what I mean? Like they're, it's, it's my own bag of shit that I like to do. Um, and it's just, it's just what makes sense to me. And that's what I'd encourage other people to do is to find out what you really like to do because it's highly likely that no one else will care <laughs> or they just won't get it. Yeah. Like yeah. there's, you know, there's levels to the game. If you can't lift an inch dumbbell, you have zero appreciation when you see somebody lift two of them at once. And then you, you don't even get it when you see heavier bells than that. Um, when I first started putting up uh, clips, lifting both of my 200 inches, you know, you get guy, oh man, that's pretty cool. And for some of the guys I could tell, they perceived they were close in strength to me. And some of those guys over the last year finally got their hands on an inch and they come back and they say, I can't believe you can lift those damn things. It's like you weren't strong enough to know yet. Yeah. You know, I mean, like for all of us, the three of us, we don't know what it's like when a guy squats a thousand and then goes on to squat a thousand twenty-five. Yeah. Yeah. No. You might as well Mind say possible. any number. Yeah. Right. And that's that's the thing. So for everything, there's levels to the game. If you're chasing grip, the majority of your friends who lift that don't do grip, they're not going to get it. So just don't assume that anybody will care and instead do the things that you really like to do. Exactly. Okay. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts about team training? Uh, some people have noticed that you usually are training with a team or other dudes. So what are your thoughts about training on a team? Always. With the people. So, you know, and for me, it's a throwback to how I got started. So when I got started back at that Golds, it was me, a friend of mine, his older brother taking us in there. Got into the military. Most of your PT is done. Organize it at a, at a flight level up to a unit level. I enjoyed that. You don't get good workouts doing team workouts, but it is a good thing to do. Um, 
And then once I got stateside, I, I've always offered other people a chance to come lift with me. It is not very likely that if I'm inviting someone out to lift that I'm interested in necessarily doing what they're doing, but it's a standing invitation. You can come lift with me. And I have, I've made great results over the years when I've had good, consistent training partners. Um, when I was in North Dakota, there was a guy, Matt Smith, used to lift with me all the time. There was a guy, Richard Marby, used to lift with me all the time. Both of those guys were having phenomenal results. And it was fun for me because they work like a guinea pig. Like, hey, man, let's see what happens over a month if we get you doing more of this and maybe less of that. Uh, when I came out to Minnesota, um, I lifted David Del Nave for two years. I lifted Matt Browse for three. God, Browse, what a fucking animal when he was on it. Dude, guy's like nearly 300 pounds, and he moves like a gazelle when he would actually move. It was quite a thing to see. <laughs> Very fun training partner. Um, when I got out here and first got to North Texas, when I was doing a lot of calisthenics and gymnastics, I lifted for a guy, Chris Poole. He's up in Denton. Um, it's funny, he completely went from calisthenics to weightlifting and has gone on to qualify for U.S. Nationals out of Texas, which has been amazing to see. And then starting in 2018, um, Tanner Merkel, Tommy Jennings, Eric Milfield, Robert Jedley. I lift with, with those guys monthly, uh, with some of them sometimes more than a month. I would recommend every person who wants to make this thing work, get a couple guys that you can train with every now and again with one of the big things is, is it helps spread the load of equipment. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Like if I own it, Tanner doesn't need to get it unless he just wants to have it. Cause he has access to it whenever he wants. I'll loan it to him. Um, when, if Tanner buys it, well then I don't necessarily feel a need to get it. The one exception is, is that damn fat bastard barbell grab ball that came out last year. <laughs> I don't get it. it. It was not training on that really fucked up my overall last year so i took third for my weight class and i was like 13 or 14 in the overall if i would have worked that grab ball five more sessions it would have been second for the weight class and then a top 10 finish so i did buy one of those for this coming year yeah. but um <laughs> it's quite you know, different yeah yeah but man i'll tell you getting a crew it really really is useful and especially um you know, some of you guys listening to this that are getting into fitness, I, I hope this part makes sense to you. You know, I get it that you got a job and you got a family and maybe you got kids or you don't, or you got, you know, dogs or you don't. There's always going to be all those things that are reason for you not to train. When you and a couple of other people can get on a schedule and agree that we're all going to set all that shit aside for an hour or an hour and a half, not, it doesn't have to be an all day thing. And we're going to come together and do this thing. It will serve as a, a pillar of stability, right? You can't hold something up one pillar, but you get a couple pillars going and things go really well. So for a fitness program, it can be extremely beneficial to have a couple like-minded people. And that's all they got to be is like-minded. They, they do not have to be of a similar fitness level. They don't have to even have the same fitness pursuit. Like for our team, uh, Eric competes in powerlifting. Uh, Tommy Jennings has been getting more into powerlifting. Uh, Robert Najedli loves Ben Steele. He's he's a he's a small frame man. You know he's 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 five 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 six and he's one hundred eighteen pounds. He doesn't 
Like he does some grip because he lifts of us, but he doesn't care about that. I'm never going to look at Rob and be like, Rob, you haven't moved your rolling thunder up lately. No, man. He comes out because we're like-minded. So, because I hear people say that, they're like, man, you know, I want to get into this, but nobody in my area is into grip. When the fuck did I say you were going to ever find anybody into it? I said, introduce people to it. Exactly. So, that's what we're you know, my, my mindset is this, guys. Thing. Yeah. We don't want converts, but we do want a disciple. Yeah. I'm not asking somebody to just jump into this and buy into all this all at once. That's probably not going to happen. But I am open if somebody wants to start leaning in and taking a look at it. Well, hey, come out and join us. See if there's something here for you. I'm not going to be calling you every week and asking you to come out. Once you get your invitation, that's your invitation. You use it when it's good for you. And, and that's the attitude I would ask the other lifters to take out in this. Don't make it a thing where you, where you sound like somebody's nagging ass wife, bugging them to come out. You invite them one time. And if they either do or they don't, whatever, let three or four months go by, invite them again, let three or four months. And then when you hit the year mark, you can say to them, you know, if you would have started the first time I asked you, you'd be so much farther ahead now and let that crash on them and think about it. Exactly. You know, that, that's how I get people in the sport. That's how I do it. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, we reached out to people that weren't doing grip because they honestly they didn't have anything to do. Um, a lot of the guys that are doing grip here in the Northwest are actually from obstacle course racing. The Spartan races and those obstacle course races are huge up here in the Northwest. That's smart. And yes. Believe it or not, I mean, there's so much grip involved in that. They're grabbing all kinds of weird shaped things and swinging with their body weight and grabbing another weird shaped thing. Um, one of the guys that came from obstacle course racing uh, went into one of the grip contests and got like eighth in his weight class in the flats. So, I mean, just fantastic stuff. Yeah. Really cool. Let's see that, what those guys can do. That story is a great example of, of how people are really going to find themselves in a sport. That's, that's perfect right there is, Hey, you guys can come try this. You know, we think it'll help you for the other things you're doing. Uh, and guys, that's what I like about arm lifting. I can I could be in the same room as a guy who likes the bodybuild, likes the power lift, likes to do strongman, likes to play softball. Um, and I could tell them I have a sport that you could participate in in a limited way, and it will both possibly be enjoyable to you, but it would also be measurably uh, notable for what you like to do. Yep. And you know, hey man, if somebody likes to get better, that's a pretty good offer for them. Absolutely. Um, gotta gotta say it right now, since we're talking about arm lifting, um, we are actually going to be doing our first uh, sanctioned event here at Couch Potato Strong coming up in July. Yep. I saw and, your and, uh, sanction when it came in the other day, and I yeah, was very happy to see that. Twentieth anniversary of Rolling Thunder is going to be there. Twentieth anniversary of Rolling Thunder in Northwest with Todd B. Craft, and we're going to have uh, the other main arm lifting events. It's going to be fantastic. A lot of fun. And we're also going to include the golden potato as a last little, just, you know, nod to fun times. And we're going to have that. in the I, I, yeah, Absolutely. I think you guys should be doing that. Oh, man, go to, go to every fitness expo. If there's a Harley Davidson dealership doing a big Saturday sale, go to that. If there's a fucking strawberry festival in a downtown village, go to that. Yep. And, <laughs> that is what we and I said, like, just put the yeah. equipment in front of the people and watch how many of them respond positively to it. That's awesome. So, um, see, I think this is the last of the fan question. So, uh, what is your goals with all these plate curls, direct wrist work, and thumbless work that you've been doing lately? Arm wrestling. 
right there, right there, right there. Okay. Um, so I got started in September this year training with the Fort Worth team. And the very first day I went in there, the first two guys that I grabbed told me, they're like, dude, I have never felt somebody's hand like that. So I've got, I need some sports specific angles because if you look at arm lifting, there's a couple of things you never do. Like you're never having your arm where you're trying to pull this way, right? We don't have a curling kind of thing. And for arm wrestling, you need a good, we call it a rising strength. So it's, it's going into radial deviation with, with flexion at the elbow. I need to build up more there, but right now, like the amount of containment that I have on guys' hands I haven't had anybody who can just slip when I grab them right now. Um, and it's funny because there's a, there's a whole strategy of arm wrestling that involves slip and get to the strap. You look at somebody like a Cobra Rhodes, um, just truly legendary American arm wrestler for decades. Cobra didn't let people get away from him. You tried to slip on him and he would keep you with just his fingertips. That style very much appeals to me. It's just never let him get away. So with the heavy plate curls, I am I am building an arm that can tolerate an enormous amount of stress. And for me, lefty was already my strong reverse bending angle. Um, I mean, there's only, I don't know, what, two guys that have bent a bigger bar reverse than I've done. I think the only two that have done a bigger bar than me was Paul Knight and Mike Hadley, who's Hadley's in Oklahoma, Paul Knight here in Fort Worth. They and both could be stainless. Uh, magnificent bastard reverse, or which one is it you've done reverse? I've done hex bastards reverse. Paul's done a shiny bastard reverse. Mike Hadley did a shiny bastard. So shiny will be what I'm going to try to get to. That okay. from there it just gets into going a thicker diameter. But like stainless reverse is so hard because of the flex. I've been playing around so, with Elko style a little bit lately. Uh, be careful. Just, yeah, yeah. just be careful. Yeah. The, the problem you get into is that when you finally get really strong that way and you can actually supinate through that bar, uh -huh. if you've not been working your pronators this whole time, you're going to have a fucking massive elbow issue that comes okay. up. Good. You know, Good. It, Good. Akin to if you had a friend and he bench pressed every day, but he never did rows, he never yeah. did pull-ups, yeah. pretty soon he starts complaining that his shoulders hurt all the time. And it's, it's not that benching is hurting you. It's not doing the yep. opposite work that hurts you. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, but for me, it's it's all centered on arm wrestling. Um, you know, there's a misconception that goes on right now where people talk about arm wrestling like a martial art. That's, it's a strength sport. Rule number one in arm wrestling, be strong. Rule number there's two, be stronger. Of course, but yeah, you need to be strong. And there, there is yeah. definitely technique, but it is not, yeah, it's strength. Way I mean, more. I mean. The, the, the conversation about technique, and, you know, this is one of those things. Everyone wants to define technique differently, but here's, here's the thing about it. If you were 110 pounds and you had perfect technique and a guy who was 250 got on the table with you who's no technique, but he's a lot stronger, do you expect the 100-pound guy wins? No. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, and that same thing in jiu-jitsu. People think that jiu-jitsu is a way for a little guy to fight a big guy. That's bullshit. No. Jiu-jitsu is a way to fight, and the bigger you are, the more of a problem you are. Exactly. So if you so were to encounter like somebody. Tap and stuff like that, he would yeah. just go in there and just charge Ernesto Hoos, the two-time world champ, destroy them with no... Training. No real good technique at all. <laughs> no training. <laughs> I mean, that's it. 
Uh, I used to roll up at the Academy in Minneapolis and Mm -hmm. we would get these wrestlers that came out of Iowa and they'd come up for a weekend or something, drop into school. And I've seen guys that were brown belts, high level jujitsu, very, very technical in a gi, get on a mat with a 22 year old who took their lunch money, bro. Just, you know, and that's the thing is, is technique is one thing, but, but being stronger or being faster or being more durable is, is ahead of that. Um, so for me, the big game is, especially through this part right here, I'm just getting it to where this hand can tolerate so much pressure. Um, and I'm doing some really dumb shit now, guys. I can hold three 25s and do partials. Uh, when I, when I do my workout today, the game, I'm, I'm really hoping to get some full range of motion rogue bumper curls today. Like everything's. I've been off for a couple of days. Everything feels strong, so we'll see how that goes. Is that a 55 or a 45, the road bumper? Those ones are, are 45s. Um, I got to go to the other Metroflex and be able to try out the, the 55 pump plates. Those but I know I can wrist curl thick. it right now. Those are about three inches thick, those uh, rogue bumpers? I'm thinking they're about that. Wow. Maybe, maybe right at two. Yeah. Yeah, I might be able to hold two of them in one hand and try it. I'll, I'll do some of that, too. <laughs> That's crazy. We've been using a, a slug. We have a two inch and a three inch slug we've been using for some plate curl stuff that's pretty fun. This guy here. So, yeah, yes. that's a idea from you. So, we love that. Yep. Yeah, and then we got an even bigger one, which is cool. Yeah, we got a three inch one as well that we can't really plate curl or anything, but we can pinch it, lift it up. So, there you go. And that's, that's useful. And that's, it's, it's kind of a fun thing. When somebody yeah, sees fun. that, they're going to want to try it. They're like, oh, what is that over there? I want to try that. Yeah, exactly. it's really fun. Absolutely. Uh, well, that was it for the fan questions that we had. So uh, I'm going to hand it over to Adam to ask you the main questions we ask everybody. Yeah, we do rapid fire, about nine, ten questions. Uh, first one, what motivates you to compete? I want to ruin somebody's weekend. I can PR, and I know my numbers in a gym, so I come out to meets to take someone's podium position. I think that's funny. It keeps me going along. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's always... Like, I don't compete against me. I'm competing against you guys. When I'm at my gym lifting is when I'm competing against me. I compete to compete. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, What do you consider one of your greatest athletic achievements? Athletic. Weightlifting, gripper, athletic, any. If I went, okay, if I went for, like, pure, like, the things I've done, um, being able to hold a back lever from a pinch grip, it took a long time to get to that. Um, being able to, to strictly curl 45s the way that I do it, it's taken a long, many, many, many years to be able to get to that. Um, I am, I'm really happy with some of the things I've done in the past. Like I, I had a period of time that I got into high rep squatting. Uh, I did 100 reps with 375 in under 30 minutes. Wow. I thought that was a pretty, pretty good achievement for me. Um, lifting the inch dumbbell over 200 times in one hour. I thought that was pretty good. And, um, you know, there's a couple combination things I've done that I just haven't seen anybody come after yet. Okay. Like I've done a thumbless inch lift and hold curl of 45. Um, I just, just a lot of, a lot of stuff like that. It, it, it changes year by year based on, based on where I'm at. Yeah. Um, in 2014, when I started to get one arm pull-ups, I was really happy with that just because my whole life I'd wanted to be able to do that. Um, being able to do freestanding handstand push-ups for reps, but, 
But in terms of what I'm chasing now, a lot of it is centered around more of the just the just the stupid difficulty level stuff that I like to do. Let me throw in one. Um, on top of that, what's the greatest grip achievement or grip feat that you've ever personally witnessed? That's a good question. Um, the greatest I can, I, I want to I don't have to limit it to one, so I'll just throw out a few. Yeah. Okay, last year Sam Parker in the UK did a full clean with a pair of 45 smooth side out, like cleaned them and then caught it and froze it. Damn. That is, oh. is one of the greatest feats of strength I've ever seen. Um, and they were full size 45s. They yeah. weren't like crazy stubby ones. Wow. So I'll say that is one. Um, uh, getting, getting to see, I remember I was watching the live stream of the Giants live when Eddie Hall did his 500 kilo deadlift on like a normal bar. I thought that was unbelievable yeah. to see it nearly, it nearly killed him. Yeah. Uh, that, that was truly something. And I think if, I, if I go off of like mind, mind talking to body power, I think that's the <sighs> example of that for decades. Yes. Um, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's just something that's, there's a lot of one-offs that I've seen that were just so freaking crazy. Like, okay, Robert will take pony shoes that are so freaking small that I can't even get my hands around them. And he'll paperclip them so tight that you, you, if you put it in a mechanical press, it wouldn't move it anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's at the, the tension that's point. Incredible. <laughs> It's just, it's so crazy to see. And it's because he's such a small guy. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know anybody that can do what he does. Um, I've seen him bend a penny right in front of me, a penny out of my pocket. And it's like, this is a guy who weighs an amount of weight that I can one arm curl. He's, he's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So on the opposite of that, what do you consider one of your greatest blunders or injuries? Ooh, good question. Okay, in 2011, it was when I was going through my Mash Monster progression. I had a um, a first generation David Horn Vulcan Gripper, so those were the adjustable ones. Yeah, I had put thousands of reps into this thing over two years. Okay, and what had happened is, and this is what I realized later, the 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 legs crossed this way with a a bolt and a washer. Yeah. Well, the bolt was slowly chewing at the hole to make it teardrop shaped. And yeah. there was a day that I had a really tough spring at about level 18, which is like a 3.5 level close. I was going to set it and it felt like it was binding. And I was like, come on, get in there. And I, I did one of these and the leg broke. So the leg broke clean off the Vulcan because the screw slid into that eyelet. Yeah. And all of that elastic energy hit my wrist so i don't know if you guys can see this in the in the projection there's a really big divot in my hand that you won't see there's no divot here let me get the camera so there's no divot here whatsoever and there's a really big divot oh yeah if, wow. if you were standing yeah. in front of me it'd be noticeable yeah so it i got really thick tendons right there but it sheared a piece of the tendon off like a half moon shape wow i had um i had about 10 weeks that I could not twist a water bottle off right-handed. Couldn't take a water bottle off. Uh, couldn't open a door right-handed. Um, absolutely could not lift anything palm down. And, and that got better. That, that really, really sucked. 
it definitely was an influencer on me when I tell people like grippers are very dangerous. Yeah. Um, I did go after that and like I did my Mash Monster 4 and got it. Mm. But my interest in training grippers came down to zero after that. And it was just one of those things like, dude, you guys don't get it. If that equipment fails for any reason, it's going to be in the next test is can your body handle it? And that was that was way too much. Um, that one was pretty bad. I'm going to keep uh, our Barbaran gripper now. <laughs> we have one of the adjustable Robert Barbaran, so I'm going to be looking at that hole, making sure it's good. Hey, that's you got to inspect it. Like, if you yep. got, if you have anything that has a moving action, you should be inspecting it every time you use it. Um, the other thing I'll add in, so last year set me up into a very long injury resolution. I was working. Uh, we were installing piping in this new pool complex up in Denton, Texas. There was about, I don't know, an eight or nine foot section of wall. And I had to bore a two inch diameter hole all the way through it with like a 40 pound DeWalt hammer drill. So it's got a big ass bit. It's super heavy. You're up on a lift truck about 15 feet in the air. And to use it, what I had to do was get into this sideways position. So dun, 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 dun for for maybe 60 hours of work over two weeks, boring these holes in. Mm. And that set me up with over a year and a half of a scapular issue and a um, medial tendon issue. And it's a lot better now, but using that, that fucking hammer drill for so many hours trying to get all those holes put in, that one has been a real big problem to fix. Um, which a side note of that is some people will message me and they'll say like, well, I don't see how you can do what you're doing because my elbows hurt. I never said my elbows don't hurt. Yeah. Of course this shit hurts. Yeah, exactly. it, it, you know what I mean? Like a lot of this shit is going to hurt. The question is, is do you understand how to do balancing work to not let it get out of control? Yeah. But that, hey, dude, that was a very, very, very problematic time period. That's brutal. Yeah. So you what, know, is, what, what did I do the whole time through? Train through it. The whole time through. Yeah. What's one of your major athletic uh, goals right now? So outside of contest performance, um, I'm getting back into some of my gymnastic stuff just because I like to do it being at a heavier weight. So I would, I would really like to get back to where I can easily do various muscle-ups, levers, handstand push-ups closer to this 220 body weight. Um, really looking forward to when all the COVID restrictions go away to where we start arm wrestling again. Yeah. That'll be where a lot of my effort will be. Um, and then on top of that, I might do some jujitsu tournaments coming up. I think just the ability to go out and compete will probably pull me in a couple different directions. Um, I'm always, always working on something. My, my big lift that I'm working on for the next year is I want to be the first person to, to pull double body weight thumbless on an axle. That's awesome. Which I've never seen anybody do anything even close to that. Yeah. So you're going to put that uh, jujitsu and arm wrestling to use and combine them and do like X-arm? <laughs> X-arm? Uh, I would not. You know what that sport is? No. Is that where they're um, Is that where they're arm wrestling and they can punch each other? Yeah. yeah and do uh, I've seen that. The table, like they're belted into the table and they can do like arm bars and punch them and get knockouts. And oh, it's crazy. Yeah, knockouts, tap outs, and pins. 
So there's a correlation, okay? The shittier the quality of life in a given country, the harder the sports get. So that's true. Look at me and right? Brooklyn. So, that's yeah. it. You look at Russia yeah, and they have why, like man. slapping contests and yeah, they have arm wrestling where they're punching each other. Yeah, um, that's true. I was listening. Copa Rhodes did an interview of Devin Laird the other day, and he talked about when he would go over to this country, this uh, city in Kazakhstan, and they play a kind of polo. It's a rodeo sport where it's a dead goat. So the guys are on yeah. the horse. For you, I don't know the name of it, but that's an example. Like life is so hard <laughs> in those places that the sports are wild. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, I've seen that that dead goat sport, and yeah, and uh, there's that rugby that sport that's similar to rugby in Italy, where they actually just like beat the crap out of each other as they run. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I remember seeing the team MMA thing they were doing. Where like five guys would oh, go yeah, fight five guys, and it was, was actual. Right? I um, I'll tell you guys, I don't see myself going down necessarily yeah. that route. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, that was nuts. They have three guys just beating on one dude. They have taser ball, which is ridiculous. It's like uh, yeah, rugby football ball. with tasers. I don't even know. <laughs> that's that's it's that's one. I I am enjoying far too high quality of a life. Yeah, to, to to do that, like I watch these slapping contests, and to me, it's a thing of it's like, man, I can't believe that's what you're gonna do for Friday night, dude. I've been not watching. That, I watched you know, that for not, the last week, and I don't know. Like, this is the dumbest sport I've ever seen, but you can't stop watching it. Oh, I'll, I'll watch it. Hey, I would, I would drive us all to the meet to sit in the front row, but I mean, participation wise, you couldn't get me to Hell no. agree to that because there's no upside. Yeah, exactly. I can't walk. I got to take it to the face. I don't think so. <laughs> That's crazy. Get some guy with a giant mitt and you're just going to let him cold cock you. <laughs> you won't remember the no, next two weeks. Yeah, no, thank you, man. No, thank you. Uh, what training methods or techniques have you stumbled upon that have significantly increased your performance compared to like a conventional training technique? So anything unique, anything weird? Pete Cisco's power factor training and static contraction training. Everybody who wants to get strong should learn how to do power factor, power index. You need to understand volumetric intensity, what it is and what it isn't. And then you really need to take a look at the research they've done and what it suggests about range of motions and training and what it doesn't suggest and what that can do. So like, for example, my brother-in-law will come up here so he has worked out. This will be his fourth workout in two months. I've got him lifting twice a month right now. In one more month, he'll just be lifting once every four and a half weeks. If somebody's curious on how would that work, they need to take a look at Pete Sisko's work. Probably one of the best minds that we've seen come through it. Okay. So, and it's all testable. You can run the, you run the studies yourself. You can run experiment yourself. That one's been a huge one for me. Uh, the biofeedback testing method taught by Frankie Ferris, which he taught to me in 2009, that's been the mainstay of my program uh, for intuitive training. Um, I think everybody needs to, needs to really give that a very, very hard look. Um, and, and the thing is that, that some people don't understand, when you're attempting to figure something out, you don't go into it with all of your ideas and see if that thing fits you. 
you got to go in and see if it's accurate and then evaluate are my ideas right right so those are two very very huge ones um i went in deep with the uh kettlebell training system over a couple of years and i will tell you the thing about that is is i I not only do not do what they do, but I'm I'm actually anti to it at this point. So high tension training in my book would be things that are so heavy that my body reflexively needs to brace. The idea of lifting light weights and bracing up your full body, that's the thing that Pavel advocates and his guys advocate. Your guy the, the kettlebell community looks fucking pathetic in 2021. Like when you look at how they started and you look at the, the, the direction it was going to where it ended up, terrible. So that was terrible. Mad, actually, historically, kettlebells were used a lot differently than they're used now. And I feel the like the way they're used they're now strength. is dumb. Okay. It's dumb. So, <laughs> kettlebell lifting, the lifting side of it, where the guys are doing high rep, that will turn you into a piece of just badassery, dude. Guys that compete in that sport get really good results. Yeah. The American style of basically using powerlifting concepts with a really light weight—it's—it's it's nonsense. Yeah. Um, some of the top trainers in the kettlebell community and strong first community right now—they were peers of mine going back ten years ago, and I didn't think they were that fucking strong when I met them the first time. And I'm really unimpressed with what they're doing now. Yeah. And it's—it's it's one of those things where if you're a trainer in a system and you say that strength is our paramount you should be strong yeah not not just strong like well i'm a strong kettlebell presser no you should be strong and the way that kettlebells are being used in this country it, it is not producing that kind of result so i i'll tell you like if for the people that are going deeper into that i would really advise you to take a look at who you're listening to at this point and to look at where have they been stuck, how have they been stuck, how have they fixed that? Because it, it might change your mind and if you're going to keep going in that way. Yeah. So what's a good source of uh, knowledge about the proper way to use kettlebells? Man, I'd say make friends with one of these Russians who can throw around a 50-pound weight for two or 300 times in a go. That's the guy to listen to. Yeah. Um, you know, like when, when I look at it, to me, the primary value of the kettlebell is going to be the, the high repetition and management of shock and elasticity. Yeah. When, when you bring it down to the idea of how a lot of people are using their kettlebell, they might as well just be lifting a dumbbell. There's almost no difference. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and then the thing that they did where they grabbed up certain exercises and tried to get everybody doing the same thing the same way, that is a big, big, big fucking no-go, man. It is, it is not good to have 100 people in the room that are all built differently yeah. and cueing them all to be moving exactly the same. Yeah, especially so, when all of them come in with That's... different injuries to begin with or different ailments or anything like that, that they might not or even consider doing a motion similar to that because whatever they're coming in with with an injury or anything they've done before, you, know, you may have three successful people out of that group. It's ridiculous. You know, for the guys, there's a group of guys. We had a pretty big RKC in 2009 when I went through it. So those of you guys that were there would know this. This is why I can say whatever I'm going to say about them, and you'll never see any of these guys respond to me. There'll be no response, and here's why. First RKC I went to, 
while some of you guys were barely able to do your snatch test, I did my snatch test one-handed the first 70 reps. And then that day, Pavel said, come on up here and press the 70 and a 50 together. Because he wanted to see somebody do a stack press. None of y'all in my class could do it. That was the first weekend I'd ever hurt my back training. And it was when they told me that the way I had been doing swings for five years was no good and I need to do them this way. And those of you that were there, you remember it. And like an idiot, I went back to a couple of the courses and it started to backslide my training. And the whole reason people paid more attention to me when I bounced out of it was it's like, wow, you're really getting stronger faster. It's like, yeah, because I'm not doing what these guys are teaching. Yeah. What these guys are teaching, I don't think is good. Yeah. If something works, it's going to be translating across all of your results. And the thing is, is if your lifting practice is making you look like the tin man from Wizard of Oz, barely able to move around, that is not going to help your jujitsu. That is not going to help your basketball or your soccer or your ability to go play with your kid in the backyard. Yeah. You know, fluid motion, very, very powerful rather than the really static yeah. acting like it's heavy, but it's not heavy at all. It's just crazy. So uh, what are some lifestyle habits you subscribe to that can help the average person get healthier? Well, I'm, I'm a little bit different because I'm a, I'm a smoke them if you got them, have a drink if you want to have a drink, go eat the extra bacon. It's, it's quantities are, are seem to be the problem. So yeah. if someone's telling me, I think I have a healthy diet and all I eat is chicken or rice, you don't have a healthy diet. You eat one fucking thing. Absolutely. Health is the ability to eat a lot of different things. Yeah. Health is the ability to perform low to high, yeah. not optimal. So what I would tell a lot of people, if you want to change your diet for the better, the first step is you need to add things into it. Yeah. All right. I've been training people for 20 years. Every person tells me the same thing. I want to lose weight. And I say, what are you going to do about it? Okay, I'm going to quit doing this. I'm going to quit doing this. I'm going to quit. That shit won't help. You cannot get somewhere new by simply taking things away. So step one, look in your grocery cart. You can count out the number of items. Like, oh, I typically buy five vegetables. Cool, let's make that eight. If you typically eat two or three kinds of meat, can we get you to five? If you always eat breakfast, I actually would encourage you to get to the point that you don't always eat breakfast. Just like you, if you always eat lunch every day at 11, could we get it where it's not always at 11? So if you want a different result, you have to be different, not same. I agree 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Mix it up, trick your metabolism, and don't be afraid to cheat every once in a while and get a little extra bacon. Absolutely. Eat that damn slice of pizza once yeah, in a while. I mean, come on. You know, we're humans. We have to be happy too. 100% agree. Just work harder that day in the gym. <laughs> exactly. Give you, a re- give you a reason to work harder. And, you know, and the other big thing is this. Um, health got hijacked in the fitness industry where, where people replace healthy and lean. Yeah. Yep. So they see yep. someone with a six-pack and they're like, he's healthy. Well... We can, we can drive down the road right now over to one of these trap houses, and I can show you some crystal meth addicts that have ripped up abs like you've yep. never seen. Exactly. Are you going to tell me that's a healthy person? <laughs> exactly. 100% agree. Absolutely. Look at Eddie Hall six-pack. That's, that's some health right there. 350 pounds just, oh, my goodness. 
But hey, you look at how much how much better Eddie's moving and breathing and getting around oh, now that so he's much. come out of his super yeah. Goliath yeah. stage. Because the world was not going to have many years of a 415-pound Eddie Hall. No. Hey, we might have a 330 Eddie around for years and years and years. So I, I'm excited to see that. Yeah. Yeah, and Brian Shaw's starting to do the same thing. I'm here, so I think he might he be needs to, to uh, retire from strongman as well. You know, the problem is this: is that no matter how much muscle you have, that 440 pounds or whatever he weighs, all that pressure on his heart, yep. and on his lungs, and on his pancreas, and his liver, and like being that massive has an incredible cost, whether or not it's fat or muscle. Yep. You're, there's still other uh, tissue systems that are going to have a massive strain just because of volume and size. So yep. for all the super big guys, like I encourage all of them, man, do what makes sense for you to actually get to see your grandkids graduate high school. Exactly. Big Whatever Z. that looks like for you, fucking do that. Yeah, Big Z is. Big Z had a good transformation too. Yeah, he was huge. Yeah, he was very heavy. And he's still, he's still a monster, but he lost, what, almost 100 pounds or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. So if you could start your training all over again with the knowledge you have today, what would you do different? Um, I would. Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know how to get here any other way. I I don't know. I don't know if I would be able to get to similar results that I have now without because the way that the years look in my mind is they look like little platforms that other things could then be built on later. Yeah. And I just, I wouldn't know how to get here any other way because if somebody took my current training protocol that I'm doing right now and put that into their system and put that into their training, I would not expect comparable results after two or three years. Right. And it's because what about all the stuff that I had on these previous years? You know what I mean? I would say this, that the, the most important thing is consistency over the months. There's 53 weeks in a year. If you can show me that, that out of 53 weeks, you train, say, 48, it's very likely you're going to have a good result. If your training is doing something to you where you've been limited by it, then it's probably the, the wrong way to go. So what I would encourage for people is frequency, probably over intensity in the beginning. So the act of setting aside time, getting the training done is the most important behavior. Like for me, dude, taking two days off in a row is a challenge. Yeah. It is a challenge. No matter how busy I am, I've already carved out the time in my mind that I'll train today. Um, that is the switch I try to get flipped in everybody that I work with is can we get you to the point that that training is just like brushing your teeth and washing your butt, that you're yeah. doing it every day. You know, hey, do I want to have to shower every morning? Not always, but I do. Exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, some evenings I'm so tired. Do I want to floss my teeth and brush them? No, I just want to jump in bed. But I do. Training in my mind is the same way. Is, is I totally could imagine all the scenarios someone can throw at me that leads them to say, I don't want to train today. I hear you every time. And I also don't care. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, for me on the days I don't want to train, I hear myself say that. And it's like, well, who the fuck asked you? We're going to do it anyway. 
Like that's, <laughs> that shit's happening. Yeah, and it'll sure always happen. The Dakotas, you trained in some cold ass environments. Terrible. Oh, and that's that's been kind of the funny thing. Like oh, my wife never watches my podcast because it's winter. They wanted to know like what cold conditions you deal with in training. It <laughs> it was Dakota, so <laughs> so we had a month, and I remember it very clearly. The high every day would be about negative ten. And the low was dumping into the negative 30s. Yeah. So for me, I would come home, go into my garage, and it's like the garage would be five degrees after running the heaters for a while. You know, and I would just lift in that shit. And it was because if I started to allow myself to say it's too cold to, tr to train today, yep. well, it's probably going to be too cold tomorrow then. Yep. And then that opens up the door. Well, it's too wet today because it's been raining. And then it's too hot today because it's been hot. Yep. It, it, I just, like my barn, I'll tell you this, it's harder to train in Texas than it was in Dakotas. My barn in the summertime, 125 degrees, easy. Whoa. That shit is way harder to lift in than yeah. a negative temperature. I'll tell you that. Oh, man. So uh, what's the most important piece in your home gym and why? That's a good question. Um for my home gym, my most important piece is probably my axle. My, my axle and a couple plates because I can do all of my lifts with that. Um, secondary to that, probably probably the kettlebells that I do have because um, I've got so many sizes of them. I can do a lot of stuff with them. And then thirdly, um, and I just had a new one built, my pull-up bar. Very, very useful to me for a lot of things. Okay. Because beyond pull-ups, it can serve as a as – a, anchor attachment point for different things yeah. yep. you know for different cables and bands and yeah. whatever absolutely yeah that's what we hook up our pulley system that we use ours using our max wrist on the other day we yeah. hook it up to a pull-up bar yes it's actually a mini bicycle rim our pulley from a, a miniature bmx bike 10 inch bmx bike yeah, yeah that's what that's i like that yeah well awesome. it makes a really cool looking pulley so whatever <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what advice do you have for the average person trying to get fit and healthy which you went over a lot but anything else they haven't mentioned maybe. Okay, here's here would here would be the most important thing I would I'd want someone to consider. Uh, let's say you're a guy, and when you graduated high school or college, you weighed 185 pounds, and today you find yourself weighing 280. Well, you, you didn't get 280. Weights? Say again. Did you check my weights? No, <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, see so here's our, the deal. Our neat pulley. Oh, I like that. We got an upper one hanging on the on the pull-up bar, but yeah, it's just neat looking. I love it. <laughs> I dig that. So this would be my advice. You didn't get there in a couple of weeks. So don't expect to get out of there in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, like for ladies, the 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 three times a woman will typically actually get into fitness, and I'm talking broadly, like the majority of women. You, you I you know, there the number of women who lift weight is an incredibly tiny number. Right. So on everybody else, when are they going to do it? It's when they're about to get married. Yep. That might be a time that it makes sense to start training. It's typically after they have a baby. Yep. And they say, okay, I want to get back to where I was. Or it's when they go through a divorce. Those are three times. In all those scenarios, when I'm talking to these women, the questions I'm asking, like, okay, if you just had a baby six months ago, then you started gaining weight nearly two years ago. Right. So there was there was a nine month period that you were just gaining and gaining. 
And then there was a period of time that you probably were down a little bit, but so many other factors were out of control. And what is my point? Don't go shopping for a six-week body transformation program because you just spent a hundred weeks or more being at that weight. Um, For a lot of Americans, they're so fucking impatient and they're so ready to quit at the drop of a hat. The reason most people will never get any measurable results whatsoever is simply because they're impatient. That's it. a, A very shitty program executed consistently will outperform the best design programs that only get to execute it every now and again. Yeah. I think that's a huge so, problem is the microwave society that we have. And uh, that's a good way to say that. Yeah. Instant gratification. Yeah. I actually want to add in another age that a lot of women uh, start considering working out. And that's when they're in their late sixties, honestly, when they start to feel their body starting to deteriorate and they haven't done anything all their life to actually do anything about it. And they finally realize I need to do something. And for a lot of people, it's too late by then. It's really hard for them to actually do make a lot of positive progress, but yes. even then you should still get started. If you, you know, if you're at that age, absolutely do something, but yeah, you know, the worst the, time to uh, start is right now. And then again, the best time to start if you haven't started is right now. Exactly. That, that that's kind of where it's at. Exactly. Awesome. Well, a huge thank you for coming on our channel and spending the last two hours with us. I mean, that was fantastic, fantastic knowledge. Anybody listening to, I mean, just great tips that you've given us and helped us out tremendously for sure. So is there any uh, last minute plugs that you want to say anything that you want to talk about or even ask us any questions at all? You know, the, the, the last thing I'll throw up for today, guys, that I'd say for every person is this. Um. If you were to examine your life and you were to look at all the things that you started and you gave up on, and then you ask yourself, where would you be today? I want you, all you guys, listen, how many of you picked up a guitar when you were 14, 15, and then you put it down? Where would you be if you never would have put it down? With your physical fitness, the thing about it is, is that instead of trying to attach this reason why you're going to continue, get resolved and make that an unmovable part. You know what I mean? Like, like for me, it is an unmovable element in my life. No matter, you could not take me down to a situation where I'm not training. If I broke my neck and I was paralyzed, I would be doing face exercises, something. I would do something, no matter how small it appeared. For, for the people that I've met in my life that were high-performance people, either in athletics or business or whatever, I see that same characteristic and it's an unreasonable attachment to continuing. And that's what I'd want for somebody. If, if you can get decided that the journey, just one foot after another is the only part that actually matters over the long term, you can, you can achieve almost any physical goal that your structure can handle. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't say that you know, if somebody's five foot one, yeah, you're probably not going to be in the NBA. But if you played every day, I bet you'd kick my ass on a basketball okay. court all day, right? Yeah. And and that's the thing about yeah. it is, Monty is, Bogues is only five three. Yeah, and hey, he yeah. would have he would have destroyed me in basketball, right? Yeah, so um, but so that would be what I tell people is just be unreasonable in your dedication, and and it doesn't have to have a why. You know, why am I brushing my teeth? Because I brush my teeth every day. Why? Well, because that's what I do. 
That's it. You know what I mean? And why, why do you need to lift weekly? In my opinion, because that's what you need to do. Just my opinion. Absolutely. I think that goes with mental fitness too. I hated school, but I pursued forever as hard as I could to get it done. Um, get my doctorate and whatever. And, you know, it's just, uh, you, you find that the people that have that ridiculous perseverance are always the people that just get it done. And they're not, they're not the most fit at the beginning. They're not the smartest at the beginning, but I mean, that work, it just pays off. It just, I totally off. agree. Experience is huge. Like right. you said, you couldn't get through a deck of cards the first time you picked one up. Uh, what gripper did you squeeze the first time you picked up grippers? Uh, so that would be the one that a lot of people wouldn't believe is actually, I could close the two right from the start. Okay. I, so I, I, I worked at a GNC when I was in high school, right across the street from a gym. And I just keep the gripper on the counter. I tell people, I'll give you a 10% discount today if you can close it. And to me, it, I didn't think it was a big deal. I didn't, it didn't occur to me that that was hard until many years later after seeing that. Um, so, you know, for me, that made sense right off the bat. Uh, even now where I never train them, I still can pick up my three and mash it any day. But when I, when I look at, you know, like my first, man, I told my, you want to talk about things that I, that I fucking sucked at when I started, when I first started hand balancing, I bet I flipped out of a hand balance and rolled on my back at the gym, maybe 30,000 times over the first two years. You know what I mean? And that's why it'd be funny to me. When, it's funny to me when other people are like, well, I don't want to do it here because people are going to look at me. Well, big fucking deal. Everyone's going to get looked at. We're either looking yeah. at you thinking, man, that motherfucker's ugly or man, that looks good or man, that's interesting or man, what's big deal. Yeah, um, you know, I was terrible at it when I first got going, but I just kept doing it because I wasn't doing it to impress somebody. So there was no need for me to worry about what does it look like? I don't care if somebody doesn't like it. If you don't like it, keep your eyeballs moving along. You'll be fine. Yep, exactly. Awesome. Did you have anything else you wanted to say? Uh, that would be it, guys. Um, I, I really bad about getting back to people on email. Most of the time, if, if, if you have, if there's something you want to say, hit me up on like Instagram. Okay. Um, I use Instagram and I use YouTube. Those are the only platforms I fuss with. As soon as I can find an alternative to each of them that's not going to get shut down in six months, I'm totally hopping off and moving over. Um, so, you know, if you've got a question, you can send it over. Uh, I'm not going to promise that I'm going to do or not do anything for you. But what I would like to be able to do is at least be able to say, I will hear you. And if I can't help, I will. Awesome. Thanks. That was some great advice you, uh, you gave us. And yeah, man, this is fantastic stuff. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Yeah, and then we'll uh, have to get you a set of golden potatoes sent your way as well. I would be happy to try them out, guys. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing what you can, what kind of weight you can throw on your body and do a pull-up with. Yeah. So, I I would be interested in trying that one out, too. Yeah, the guy that has that record was like, I think he got third in the world. Ryan got third in the world in the obstacle course racing world championship. Something like that. Yeah. Incredible. So, it's a tough guy you'd be competing against. It's pretty awesome stuff. And the girl, and the girl we have... I mean, she set a world record on the flask when she was here at her gym, which is really cool. Yeah, one of our local OCR girls, she weighs under 130 and two-hand flask lifted uh, 103. Yeah, 103 pounds. Which is insane. Nice. Tiny hand, small person. I mean, that's crazy grip strength. But she holds the world record on the beater bar, too. You know what that is? The, pull up, the rotating square pull-up bar? No, I haven't seen that before. Okay, it's got like four bars on it. It's just a square, and you just continue to like walk it as you're doing pull-ups. 
So it just continues to rotate. You just grab the next bar, the next bar, the next bar. She got the most rotations on that thing of anybody in the world. Oh, it's like a ladder. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, she holds a world record of men and women on that. So, I mean, her grip's phenomenal. So we got some fun stuff that's going to be coming yeah. out of this area. And we yeah, got some weird excited. fun leaderboards for our golden potato lifts, and they actually just went over to the UK. So, you know, there's like seven sets in the UK that a bunch of people want to do leaderboards over there. So we have it internationally, which yeah, is Adam cool. Bishop's supposed to be getting a hold of a set. So, I mean, he's a strong dude. <laughs> that's good, guys. I Absolutely. like that. And that's, dude, boards drive progress. Yeah. When you put up a list and say, this is what's been done, you're going to have more people participate oh, speaking than when of, you don't have the list. Man, we're going to have Jesse Marundi's number three at our grip contest in July. And that's the three you're going to get to squeeze to try to get on our Northwest list. Yes. So that's pretty cool. That's a lot of history right there. We're pretty I like that, guys. You guys are doing the right things, man. Keep growing your area. You know, yeah. work with the people who want to work with you. Don't worry about the people who don't. They're either going to come around or they're not, but, you know, just keep building what you guys are building and it will get better and better. Yeah, we're excited about it. We're going to look forward to your next uh, videos that are coming out. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, what, almost 10 years since Industrial Grip Volume 2, so we're very interested in seeing what new info you have to drop. I I will have, I it will, it will be, it will be a very different setup and I'm, I'm really excited for that. So absolutely on that, guys. Awesome. We we'll look forward to it. All right, well, enjoy the rest of your day. It was very fun having you. My friends, thank you so much. Yep. You guys be safe, okay? Thank well, you. Too. Appreciate Take care. it, Adam. Yep, bye-bye.